invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have a copy of God's Word, to Ephesians chapter 6. We are going to continue today our study of the armor of God. Today we're going to take up the helmet of salvation. We've spoken already about several pieces, and it's just remarkable to me. You know, everything, every one of these pieces of armor, as we've looked at, has both an offensive and a defensive purpose when we look at them and it comes to being engaged in battle. But everything in God's Word, I believe, is perfectly balanced. And so there are three pieces of equipment that typically are seen as offensive weapons and three that are defensive. And we just finished looking last week at the three that are defensive. We looked at the breastplate of righteousness. We looked at the shield of faith, and uh, we looked at the um, belt of truth, which is neutral, and Pastor Lau talked about the sandals that are the gospel of peace. But we pick up today and begin to look at the more offensive weapons, uh, the sword, the lance, and today, the helmet of salvation. You might not think of it that way, but that's the way that we are going to look at it. It is, it is a... Uh, brilliant piece of armor we've been talking about what those all look like everything again we've said hangs on to the belt of truth so we have to have that on first and foremost so we're going to read this passage of scripture uh, once again i hope you've been reading it every day uh, just for one time walk through and, and read the words and listen to the language given to us in these instructions by the apostle paul again the letter written to the church at ephesus this great church we've talked about the saints that attended there uh, he has given all of his teachings of, of doctrine throughout the, the book of ephesians the letter that he wrote to them and then he gets to the end here and beginning in verse 10 in chapter 6 and we have these words once again finally be strong in the lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of god so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms therefore put on the full armor of god so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith which with, with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the lord's people i want you to hear paul's language we've been talking about the apostle paul who was chained to these roman guards and watched these soldiers all of his life but particularly in the 10 years from the time in thessalonica to this time when he's going to be put to death in rome He's in chains 24 hours a day. He watches these guys. He's around the soldiers all the time. And the Holy Spirit has given him a very specific analogy to look at so that we might gain a better understanding of our relationship with our God. But he gives several imperatives in this passage. He does not, he is speaking and giving orders to troops. You and I, the soldiers, the onward Christian soldiers that we sing about. This is who the Apostle Paul is speaking to. And he says in that scripture, to be strong. He says to put on. He says to stand firm. He says to take up, to be alert, and to keep on praying. And all of that is commanded instructions for us 
who are Christ's followers. There's no ambiguity in the Word of God. That's one of the things I love about the Bible. Everything in there is black and white for us to read and to understand, and we choose whether or not we're going to follow God's instructions in our lives every day. We've talked about the belt, the breastplate, the sandals, and the shield. Today we take up this helmet of salvation. We've talked about the Roman soldier's equipment. The helmet weighed about 15 pounds, if you can think about that for a moment. It was made of bronze, very, very heavy. It had etchings. It was a piece of artwork as well as being a very functional piece of equipment. They, they would spend time carving into this bronze and putting, uh, there were farm scenes, pastoral scenes, war scenes, all kinds of things depending upon that soldier's preference that he would have carved into his head. But it was designed to protect the Roman soldier's head and his face. If you've seen the pictures, you know, it covers over his head, and then there's two pieces that come down and extend down to the front that protected his jaw and his cheek when he was out there on the battlefield. And uh, it, he was extremely heavy, lined with a, a sponge material on the inside to soften the weight that was coming down on the soldier's head. And it was beautiful. It was ornate. It was very, very visible, especially when they were marching in the parades. You know, they, they like to decorate them. So they would have this plume of, of horse, feather, horse hair or feathers that would come out of the top of it. And depending upon their flamboyant nature or not, uh, that would come all the way down to the back of their waist and everything. And so when they were marching in parade formation or anything like that, it was an extremely visible piece of equipment that he wore. But the key is that the same is supposed to be true for the Christian soldier. Our salvation is God's most ornate, intricate, beautiful, elaborate, gorgeous gift that he gives to his people. Rick Renner, and we've been quoting that book, it's a great book called Dress to Kill that kind of got me started on this many years ago, uh, says, Paul likened salvation to one of these flamboyant helmets that were worn on the head where everyone would notice it. And to make sure everyone noticed it, there was this plume of feathers standing straight up out of the top of it. And his point was this. When we walk confidently in our salvation through this lost world and the powerful reality of all that that means to us, we are noticeable people in a lost world that is searching and hungry to have some safety and some stability and some purpose and some meaning in their lives. Now, the Greek word for helmet was a combination of, of two words, which literally meant to wrap tightly around the head, to wrap tightly around something. In our case, it's to, tap, to write tapply, uh, tightly around the head. So the Roman soldier faced an enemy out there that carried many, many weapons when they came at then. One of the things they carried was a short battle axe. And so the, the saying among the Roman soldiers were, if you forget your helmet, you forget your helmet and you come onto the battlefield, when they've got the battle axes, heads will roll. And so for us, it's important that we remember our helmet when we're getting up in the morning and we're getting dressed and we're thinking about the spiritual armor of God. We need to be sure that he says, take up, take up the helmet of salvation. The knowledge of salvation and all that it means provides protection for the one area that the devil tries to strike the hardest. And where is that? It's in the mind, amen? It's in the mind. That's where he comes at us. It protects us from the assaults of Satan who will cause little terrorist infiltrators to sneak in the perimeters of your defenses and start whispering to you, are you really saved? Are you good enough? How could God love someone like you you're an awful sinner isn't faith without works dead what are you doing with your life 
Those are the missiles of doubt that the enemy will fire at you, and they'll bounce off your helmet if you're wearing it and you understand it. And again, I've been saying to you, you might think you're sitting in church this morning, but you are sitting right in the middle of, of the most vicious battlefield that's been raging since eternity past that goes on around us all the time. Our enemy is sworn to take us down, and he will do that any way and every way that he can. So today, it's a little different than what I've been doing. Fifty years ago, 50 years ago, as a 17-year-old kid, my family moved from North Austin out to a suburb southwest of town in Westlake Hills. And we started attending a little Baptist church out there, which later left the Baptist Convention, became known as the West Bank Bible Church. And at age 17, uh, like most young people, I've been in church all my life, you know, I, I went, you know, kicking and screaming, and I was there whether, whether I wanted to be there or not. But I had been saved at the age of 13 and a little Baptist encampment down in southeast Texas where Rusty Mott is now about 20 miles from. And uh, I, I grew up down there in, in a lot of that environment. And so, but when I got to that church, I had two pastors, Pastor Bob Keck, who just a year ago or so went home to be with the Lord, and Pastor Jerry Merritt, who's retired now and living down with his family in the southeastern United States. Both those men took a, a strong interest in the lives of the people sitting under their teaching and i would go into church on sunday morning and and i would get we would get there early there would be several hours actually of time in which the pastors were teaching and they were teaching greek and they were teaching hebrew and then we would get to the service at, at, at the 11 o'clock hour and that year i will not forget that my pastor did a study bob keck did a study on salvation and uh, if you want to know the, the, how old I am then, the New, the New International Version Bible wasn't written until 1978, okay? So uh, what you're going to hear this morning, because I'm going to give you what Bob and Jerry gave me. And I'm so thankful for it because it changed my understanding of what it means to be saved. It changed my understanding of what that helmet of salvation means for me and allows me to walk through this world. And so it's in the King James Version. So you're going to have to bear with the language a little bit, but I want you to hear what this has today. The study of salvation technically is called soteriology. So if you're, if you're going to be in, in a seminary or anything, that's the language that you're going to hear. And it comes from the word that's used in this verse where he says, take up the helmet of salvation, soteria. All right. So a little, little lesson here. Now, understood in the way actively it happens, salvation is the total work of God in bringing men from the state of sin to the state of glory through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, let me repeat that. It's the total work of God. We, we, what we've done in the modern church is take salvation and consign it simply to the, the act of faith that we accept Jesus Christ and we are, we are then given eternal life. And that's, all, that's great and it's wonderful and it's true. But there is so much more in that helmet. The reason it weighs 15 pounds for us is it's got a ton of things that it does for us that we need to be sure that we understand when we're walking through this world. When we're born into this world, we are born into this lost and hopeless condition, right? We are spiritually dead, without hope, without Christ, without eternal life, totally depraved and subject to divine wrath. But when we are saved in that latter state of glory that I just mentioned, we are under God's grace and experiencing everlasting life. First John 3, 16, God so loved the world. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have what? Everlasting life. Say that stronger. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have 
Amen and amen. God has eternal life, and that faith in Christ, we share his life. The helmet of salvation, first and foremost, with our knowledge of that assuredness that we're going to be in eternity with Jesus Christ, it blunts the blow of death. It blunts the blow of death, and it enables us to view our circumstances from the perspective of an eternal life, of eternity to come. This week, two cases. Monday morning, Steve Shook, who last week everybody gathered down here and prayed for, Steve was found to have cancer of the fatty cells. I never even heard of it, although it made me very concerned immediately. (laughs) I have an abundance of these cells, and I thought, oh, dear Lord. But it's a specific cancer, and and, uh, he had a tumor inside of his body the size of a football, okay? A football. Now, the good news is it was encapsulated, it was intact, and if the surgeon could go in there and do the surgery and get it all out without it breaking, because it was like the consistency of tapioca pudding, uh, then then he would be okay. But there was a risk, of course, that it would break, and he had that. But Steve shook over the last three weeks as I had lunch with him and then visited with him. I'm telling you, he was unflappable. The man's faith was on full display because he knew where he was going in the day that he drew his last breath and that view of eternity changed the way that he was able to look at the surgery and the physical body and what he was going to. Tuesday morning, I went and sat with a saint from the church over in El Dorado that I work with who stood up in the middle of the night the night before and had a stroke and fell over and, and she never regained consciousness. Uh, they put her on life support for just a few hours while family members arrived but it was so amazing to watch the family members come in there and face that decision that they were going to take her off of that life support and the only reason that they could do that was because of their understanding that she had accepted jesus christ as her lord and savior many 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 years ago as a young child and that she was when they took that off and her physical body left she was going home to be with her lord amen and that family was able to do that because of that understanding of salvation it blunts the death the blow of death It enables us to look at all of our circumstances from the perspective of eternity where we certainly right now we are citizens of heaven. We're ambassadors here. We have to understand our position. There's a lot of different words that occur in the Bible about salvation. In the Old Testament, it's a Hebrew word called yasha, yasha, which signifies freedom from what binds or restricts. Now, I'm going to give you a ton of information this morning, and I did not put all this up on the slides. Brad at Crossroad.live, if you want a copy of this later, I'll be glad to send it to you, but we're going to cover some ground now. The word yasha, freedom from what binds or restricts, as a verb, it means to deliver or to liberate. In the Septuagint, in the the Greek, the translation of the first one of the the Word of God, it, it stands for sozo, it's this root word of soteriology, right, of soteria, and uh, it means peace or wholeness from the word shalom. It can mean cure, recovery, remedy, rescue, redemption, and welfare. All of these things are bound up. We, we take so cheap our salvation. We really do, y'all. We tell you here, it's the, when we talk about the eight gates, my friends, it's the, in, the, in the race, it starts. It's the starting blocks of salvation. It's where we begin our life in Jesus Christ. And then we have all of this life in front of us to live until the day God calls us home or we hear the trumpet call of God when the rapture happens. Amen? We, we, we know that this is what our life is to be about now if we understand salvation. I've always said 
to you, you have to know it to live it, people at this church. You've got to know it to live it. And the more knowledge of salvation you understand, the stronger and the safer your helmet protects your mind. The word means deliverance and preservation and salvation. In the spiritual sense, in the spiritual sense, salvation speaks of eternal deliverance that's granted immediately by God to those who accept his conditions of faith in the Lord Jesus, in whom alone it is obtained. Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Ephesians 2.8, which we, of course, quote around here a lot, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And salvation in, this, in, this, in a sense of a future deliverance of believers at the second coming of Christ, whether, whether, we're, whether we die and go home or we hear that second coming, that rapture happens and we're taken out of here, there's a future salvation that is the object of our confidence. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, our confidence in that blessed assurance that when I die, no matter what I go through on this earth, and we know that this is but a blink. Pastor Bob Ingram did a sermon one time. I remember it very well. He walked all the way over to that wall and he put a piece of paper. He's holding a piece of paper and he said, you see this? This represents your life. And he put that piece of paper against the wall and he said, there's your life. There's all of eternity stretching out in front of you beyond that life. And that, that stuck in my mind. That stuck in my mind about how, how much I have to look forward to in my life with God because of the, of the salvation that he has granted to me. Again, in Christian usage... The verb has come to mean saving from you know, certain death and endowing with everlasting life. Romans 5.10 For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. In Romans 1.16 For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek so we know that salvation is for anyone and everyone who would choose to believe in Jesus Christ and in God's power to save them. In that spiritual youth, it's based upon the death of Christ for the remission of sins in accordance with the just requirements of a holy God. We so much sometimes want to just remember God as Abba Father, our daddy figure. It's easy to run into the arms of your daddy. Sometimes it's hard to stand back and remember, this is a holy and just God who cannot stand or abide the presence of sin. And we all, born into this world, separated from God with a carnal, old sin nature living to inside of us. Until we come to the place of understanding this salvation full and free, we can't be in the presence of a holy, majestic, and awesome God. But in the moment that we accept Jesus Christ... We are forever ushered into the presence of that God. And then, but although we know that we have that indwelling, it's only when we seek that infilling of the Holy Spirit that God says, I've purified you of all the righteousness. You stand, come into my courts with thanksgiving and with praise. This is, this is the assurance that comes to us. It's made possible because the righteousness of God is satisfied in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ alone, you cannot be good enough. Hear me well. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of people out there who are living good lives. They're doing good things, but it's all human good. And, and it will be burned up when the book of deeds is opened, when they're standing before Almighty God. It will not count. The only thing that will count is those things motivated by the Holy Spirit of God in our lives that are spiritual works 
on which then we might receive the crown of joy, the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, all of those things. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So salvation includes the work of redemption, of reconciliation, bringing us back into that fellowship, and of Jesus Christ paying the price that we cannot pay. When a man believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is saved. Therefore, he is at that moment justified, just as if he'd never sinned. Redeemed, bought back at a price paid by Jesus Christ. Reconciled, brought back into the relationship with God, and cleansed, washed white as snow. You listen to the old songs, man. We can, get, we can go fast track back here real fast. Washed whiter than snow. Those things are brought about by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And there's nothing you and I, you can bathe all day long, folks. You ain't gonna get that clean. You ain't gonna get that clean. Acts 16 31 and they said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved it's a promise it's a promise given to us first Corinthians 6 11, and such were some of you but you are washed you are sanctified and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God it is his work yet and this is where again I want to talk about these starting gates and moving forward because salvation most of us like to think of it as a done deal and yes upon belief in jesus christ he says you are saved you are delivered you are rescued but he also says i want you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received i want you to live this life out here where you're growing in your knowledge and your relationship of jesus christ there, you know, it's called temporal sanctification. It's, it's, the, it's the sanctifying progress that we have in our lives as we move closer and closer and become more and more in the image of God through the knowledge of our Son, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved it is the power of God. You, say, you, you wonder why sometimes people, you know, you want to bring up Jesus to somebody or you think you might ought to talk to him and you get rejected. The, the things of Christ are hostile to the mind of a carnal man, right? And the, you, we have, that's where we have to, when we witness, we're just trusting that the Holy Spirit, when we share our faith with somebody, when we talk about what God has done in our lives, we're just trusting that the Holy Spirit of God is going to take our meager words and he's going to go forward and his role is to convict that person of their unrighteousness and put inside of them the desire to come into the relationship of that saving grace in Jesus Christ. But we have a responsibility and a role for we are his workmanship, Ephesians 2.10 says, right? We are his masterpiece creation, recreated in Jesus Christ unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Amen? Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, this is a part of the Apostle Paul talking to us, right? I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation See, most of us don't think of our walk with Christ as a job. It's a calling. It's a vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And Romans 8, 1 says, There is now no condemnation. Amen. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And therefore, Romans 12, my favorite, one of my favorites, Paul says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen? Then you can understand what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. All this, and you know, it's all in here. <laughs> I, I always just, I just, I want to take it and just cram it into your head if I can, folks. <clears throat> 
Unfortunately, that's not my choice, not my privilege, not my role. It is up to you to decide what you believe about what Jesus Christ is going to do in your life if you allow him. The Apostle Paul, you think about him, he wrote all these words. I, I love this man because here he was, this persecuting prosecutor. Here he was, this, you know, he, he, he gives his list of credentials, how he was dragging Christians out of their homes and stoning them and putting them to death. He, he, holds, he holds the coats while the men stone Stephen. This kid, he, as he grew up, you know, he was absolutely uh, the, most, the most vile persecutor of people of faith. And he goes from that to a man on a singular mission to make Christ known everywhere that he was not. How does that happen? How does that happen? That happens when one of us who are hostile to the things of God accept the grace gift of salvation and come to understand and know what it is that God has done for us and what it is that we can do while we are still on this earth before he calls us home. In Scripture, it's called working out thine own salvation. That's what the Scripture says. I know, I keep looking over here at my friend Marianne because I know how much she loves this. <laughs> Philippians 2.12 Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God has things for us to do, folks. If you're sitting idle, coming Sunday to Sunday, and just enjoying the fellowship of the saints and the little party, that's, I'm telling you, there's more to it than that. That God would have you do more in your faith journey with him. And he will use you to further and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. That salvation that we're talking about in its fullness will be realized in the future when Jesus Christ returns. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh, I cannot wait for that day. What a glorious day that will be, amen, when we get to see Jesus. All of this time in our weak, feeble, finite minds, we try to picture that moment of what it will be looking like. When we, when we are ushered into the gates of heaven and when we stand before our God, we can't imagine it. <laughs> I can only imagine the guy wrote. It's true because it's true. You can't even imagine. You cannot visit. It's so vast and so wonderful and so beautiful and so amazing that we can just try to put into our minds and we will fall so woefully short of what God has for us. The need for salvation is found in the sinful nature of man. I want to go back to this. The condition for salvation is faith. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it is so true. We've turned to our own way. We want so much. And this world is doing such a fabulous job of trying to convince us that we can be the captains of our own destiny. Then we get the masters of our fate. We can be self-willed, self-determined, self-fulfilling, and that's all a lie. We might attain worldly success, but we should understand that is not the goal of the Christ follower. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 15, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Romans 5, 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, 
And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And in Romans 5, 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of the one free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. It is a gift, and that's what makes it so hard. It is so simple that that is what makes it so difficult. But it's simple in the fact that we would accept salvation as that life preserver, perhaps, that keeps us from going to hell. But if that's all we, if that's all we ever think about salvation, we're missing, we're missing out on it. Peter and John both speak about the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time and the changed nature of man because of that. Peter wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And 1 John, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Now, I don't know about you, but I get pretty cranked up thinking about what God is telling me through all of this. When we, when we take up the Holy Spirit, we receive, well, I'm sorry, when we take up the helmet of salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit as a down payment of our salvation. Very important to, you know, for the confidence because too many people are, are being taught sometimes and walking through this world in what I will call eternal jeopardy. They, they live in fear. They live in fear that if they should sin and somehow get run over by the Mack truck as they leave this place, that they're hell bound. And that is not truth. That is not the word of God. When the Holy Spirit is given to me, he says, I am sealed by that spirit. But that's not a license for liberty of sin either. And we have to understand that. There's a calling on us that God wants us to live our lives in a particular way. Ephesians 1.13, In whom you also trusted, after that you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, who is the earnest money, the escrow deposit of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession until the praise of his glory so he deposits for us we, he holds us as a deposit we're, we're, we receive that holy spirit he's to be a part of our daily journey our daily life and finally salvation gives us two further blessings that are for the future it's the removal of the fallen nature completely when that day comes. And it's the reception of a resurrection body. Paul calls the latter thing the redemption of our body and explains it will occur, it will occur at the rapture for us as church-age believers. But later, in the coming of Christ, the removal of the curse that was placed on man at the beginning. So when we, when we talk about taking up the helmet of salvation... 
You know, I, I, was, I was up in the attic of the church over in El Dorado. They, they do a lot of majesty of Easter for those from Central Community. They do a lot of blazing dramas, and they do it with the soldiers and everything. They don't do it. They used to do it. So I, I heard that they had a bunch of equipment and costumes and stuff up there. So I went looking for a helmet because I thought I would have a lot of fun this morning and walk out with a big Roman helmet on my head. And I knew you all would just love that, right? And so I go up there, and I'm digging around. And I want you to know that I found some helmets. I did. And when I, when I picked them up and I looked at them, the, the first thought that I had was, how sad. How sad, because they were little bitty helmets. Um, they certainly gave the image of the helmet to those that might be out there watching them on the, on the, on the stage. But I thought about how diminished the reality of the helmet of salvation. That when we think about our salvation, I know the Roman soldier had that 15-pound helmet on his head, but for you and me, this glorious, beautiful, ornate piece of armor that we would, we would consign that somehow to a limited understanding, to a, to a minute understanding of what salvation is all about. Then our helmets, it's, it's, it's wrapped tightly around the head. As a matter of fact, it's pretty darn small. You know, I mean, I like it. I love it. I want more of it. No, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, you, 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 sorry. <laughs> I want the helmet to be something that is magnified through your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Peter said it. We have, for we have everything we need for life and godliness, again, through our knowledge, right? So I just want you to understand, this was the teaching that I heard. This is what my pastors poured into me so that I began to think of my salvation in a very great and different light. So I understood that when I, when I accepted that grace gift, I had all this out there in front of me where, where, I, could, where I could receive the Holy Spirit, take on uh, the, uh, the, the viewpoint of God as I looked at everything, read this word and gain the momentum in my life, love each other like Jesus loved me, have God love me and understand the way he loves me and go through the testing gates so that I would one day... I would one day know, you know what? Through all of this, no matter what I go through, no matter what happens in my life, the day is going to come. The day is going to come one way or the other where because of the promise and my understanding of what God's word, this belt of truth has said to me in my life, I am going to be ushered into the presence of my Lord and Savior and what a glorious day that will be. Amen? Amen. I don't know how to tell it to you any straighter than that. That's just scripture after scripture. That's the word of God. I don't need to add to it. It's what he says about salvation. No matter what you're going through in this world today, if you understand that, you can be fully fixed on who you are and who he is instead of the circumstances going on around you. If you're here this morning, and, and maybe you haven't heard that before, for those that are walking in this room as brothers and sisters in Christ who have accepted that gift. I hope and pray that you, you understand there's so much more. There's so much more. And for those that may have come this morning that perhaps maybe you don't understand all that stuff about Jesus, I just want you to understand that God loves you. That you were born into this world with, with something that you, you might say is not something you did or caused, but it's just who you are, and that's the truth. It's, it's, it's passed down genetically an old sin nature and the god that created us to be in a relationship with him cannot be in that relationship as long as we are in that sinful state and so he sent his son that whoever would hear this and would believe upon his name believe in him that he would be saved 
and he would have eternal life. So I want you to hear that because we're about to celebrate one of the most significant moments in our faith, and that is the sharing of communion together. For those that are here that you're hearing this maybe for the first time and you you haven't entered that relationship, I want you to know what we're about to do is a part of the celebration of the family of God that Jesus instructed us when he left this world to do this and remembering everything that he had done. And that's what we're talking about this morning, salvation. We want to remember for those of us that walk in the faith. And we want to hear it for the first time for those that do not. And again, I just I want to finish that invitation. If you're here this morning and you have questions and you don't know and maybe you've never made that decision, I'm going to be right down here after we're done today. And I would love to talk with you because it's going to be the most meaningful, impacting thing you will ever do in your life is to accept this grace gift. You don't have to do anything to pay for it. You just have to believe. So servers, deacons, and y'all, if you'll come forward with the elements. The Lord's Supper is a sacred expression of what it means to be walking in our salvation. It is a portent of things to come. It's a celebration of the salvation that we enjoy and the salvation and the deliverance that we look forward to. Y'all go ahead and start me up. Pass it out. And again, if you're here and you've never been in that relationship, we ask that you just simply pass along the elements to the next person. But we also pray that at this moment, you would consider and recognize the need that you would have to be delivered and rescued and protected and redeemed and reconciled. I'm going to pray while they, while they pass. And Rick, you can, you can play, buddy. Lord, we just uh, while we're passing out these elements and receiving them, pray that we would just consider all that you've done for us all that you mean to us we've been sharing these things that because of what you did we're we're God's children we're Christ's friend we've been justified and we've been united with the Lord and we're one with him in spirit that we've been bought with that price and we belong to God that we're a member of Christ's body. He calls us saints. We're adopted. We have direct access to our God through the Holy Spirit. That we've been redeemed and forgiven of all of our sins, purified of all unrighteousness, that we're free forever from condemnation. Because of the relationship and our salvation, Lord, we're assured that all things work together for the good of those that call upon your name that we can't be separated from the love of God indeed we've been established and anointed and sealed by the Holy Spirit that we are citizens of heaven and we're not to walk through this world with a spirit of fear but a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind we can find grace and mercy in a time of need, that we are born of God, and that the evil one cannot touch us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. In the Gospels, we're given several accounts of what happened when Jesus approached his final hours. And he constantly was teaching. He repeatedly shared 
with his followers what his life was all about in the hopes that through that repetition they might understand and even in those last hours knowing and understanding he was facing an absolutely inconceivably horrible death in Luke chapter 22 when the hour came Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer for I tell you I will not eat of it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God and after taking the cup he gave thanks and he said take this divide it among you hold on to that he said I won't drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes while they were holding the cup he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying this is my body given for you do this and remember me and Pastor Rick was just sharing with the praise team before when they took communion this morning and he pointed out something that we all need to understand the Passover feast had always included the lamb for the Israelites there was no lamb at that last supper other than the lamb of God so he broke bread gave thanks gave it to them saying this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me take and eat Lord we give you thanks for your body for the sacrifice both of the physical and the spiritual Lord I cannot imagine what you endured and yet as you tell us to do you stood firm in the same way after the supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you take and drink and Lord for the cup for your blood which fulfilled the mark of the covenant we give you praise this morning We know that we are not worthy, Lord. We know that we are not deserving. And so in our gratitude, we simply say thank you, Father, for what you did. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that you would send your own Son. And Lord, for Jesus, who stood up and willingly shed those robes of glory, who left that state of exaltation and came to this earth and took on the form of an infant and all of the humiliation that came with being a human being, Lord. We cannot say thank you enough for you are our deliverer. You are our rescuer. You are our protector. You are our redeemer. You are our reconciler. You are our salvation, Lord pray this morning that we remember at all times to take up that helmet and boldly proclaim Jesus Christ as our Lord. It is in your name.